All right, well, good evening. How are you guys? Doing good? Thank you for braving the elements tonight. I appreciate that. Uh, it dropped, I think, 40 degrees in about 30 minutes today. Um, I went to lunch, and I was like, ah, oh, i got to take this hoodie off. It's so hot, and now it's so cold. So, um, well, welcome to Genesis. My name is Mike, and here at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you walked in tonight that you felt comfortable and invited. And I also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you. And so we're glad that you're here. Uh, I missed last week. Last week I was out of town. My wife and I went to Dallas, Texas for a conference and uh, man, it is good to be back, and regardless of wherever we go, there's still no place I would rather be than right here on a Tuesday night with you guys. So I missed you guys last week, and uh, it's good to be back. Uh, before we get going uh, into the message tonight, I want to ask you a question. Who here doesn't like to wait? Who here hates waiting? Okay, so I think the dislike of waiting is pretty much universal, right? Like, to some degree, we all really can be impatient, right? It's just how we are as humans, right? I've never met someone that has ever said, you know, I just love traffic. Traffic is just the best. Like, I love, like, just how you just sit there and you don't move. I love how you waste gas. I love how it makes you late to things. Like, it is just the best, right? Nobody says that, right? Instead, you want to get to where you're going as fast as you can. You want to beat the little ETA, right, on your GPS. You want to pass the slow drivers. You want to get all the green lights, right? I've also never met someone who says, man, you know when you're at a restaurant and your food's not there? I love that. I love that feeling, right? I love watching other people get their food. I love being hungry, right? Nobody says that. Instead, you want your food, like, man, within reason, like as fast as it can get there, even to the point where if it comes quicker than you thought, you'll say, wow, that was fast, right? We say these things, right? Uh, also, um, also, by the way, you know that feeling when you're at a restaurant and you see the food coming? That is a feeling that I want to live in forever, Right? That is like the best feeling in the world. Um, I've also never met someone who's like, man, I love ordering things online and waiting for them to arrive, right? Nobody, nobody's like, man, I just love like watching the UPS guy drive, drive past my house. Uh, you know, I'm instead checking the blinds every day. I'm looking through the blinds as he's driving by. I'm checking the tracking number. I'm paying more for uh, faster shipping, right? As humans, we don't like waiting, and so tonight, we're continuing our series, Dead Man Walking, where we are looking at the story of Lazarus in uh, John chapter 11, and how in this story, we can see God's plan for our pain. And the story gives us a, a detailed look into how Jesus operates in the, the painful experiences of our life, the, the moments where things didn't go as expected or things didn't go how we thought that they should go, the moments where we try to find a good God in the midst of the bad. And that can be really hard. And what we'll see tonight as we continue in the story of Lazarus is a time of waiting. But instead of traffic, instead of food, instead of for a package, Mary and Martha were waiting on Jesus. So if you would, pray with me, and then we'll jump into this. 
God, I thank you so much for, uh, for bringing us here tonight. God, I thank you that every person sitting here, sitting here in these chairs is a soul and a story, and you have them here on purpose. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us tonight, that you would make yourself clear to us tonight through your word, and that we would be closer to, to, to you on the way out than we were coming in. We all sit together in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, if you would, turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Last week when Kevin, uh, Pastor Kevin began this story, we, we saw where Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus, was ill. Uh, he was ill, and Jesus doesn't heal him immediately. He doesn't immediately race to Lazarus and heal him. He actually waits until Lazarus has passed away. And he tells his disciples that, hey, I'm doing this for the glory of God, that I'm letting all of this happen so that God will get the glory. And so we saw last week that the purpose of our pain is ultimately for the glory of God, that he would be magnified through our troubles, that his power would be made perfect in our weakness, right? And so tonight we're going to pick up where we left off at verse 17. So this is John 11, 17 to 22. It says this. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem. Bethany was a town. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so we see that Jesus finally arrives to where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are. And we read that by that time, Lazarus has been dead for four days, okay? And so all of these people have come to console Mary and Martha, right, to to help them because of their loss. So it's like a funeral, right? It's sad. There's grieving and there's mourning taking place. And four days, like we said, had passed, right? Four days of Mary and Martha waiting on Jesus to arrive. Four days of them sitting there holding their breath, hoping to see Jesus come around the corner and fix the situation, hoping for Jesus to show up. And finally, Mary and Martha look out, and who do they see approaching but Jesus? Mary stays in the house, but Martha takes off outside to meet Jesus. And what does she say? She says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. So how often have we said or thought a similar thing? Right? Can't we see ourselves in that at times? God, if you would have been there, if you would have showed up, things would be so different in my life. If you would have been there, this person would still be alive. God, if you would have showed up, my parents would still be together. God, if you would have been there, you would have answered my prayer. God, if you would have showed up, my life would look so different. God, where were you? And I acknowledge tonight as a, as a side note that pain is something that's relative to each person. And so as we move through this tonight, just keep this in mind. You know, you can't really compare, like for yourself, I'm saying, you can't really compare pain across the board, right? Because someone's always got it worse than somebody else. That doesn't mean that other person's pain isn't real and true, right? Um, And, you know, someone came up to me and they said, you know, hey, I'm just really unhappy with my job right now. And then another person came up and said, hey, my dad just got diagnosed with cancer. Those are obviously two very different situations, but the pain that those people are feeling is still significant. It's still true and real, right? 
And so when you're thinking about your own life tonight, you know, this could range from a job situation. This could range to a family situation, your health, uh, a living situation, uh, maybe a relationship issue or, or something of a, the unknown that you're facing. Whatever you're going through, it's real and it's significant. And so that's what you need to keep in mind tonight. When we talk about pain, when we talk about struggle, that's what I mean. And so to Mary and Martha, their pain over losing their brother was real and true. And Jesus knew this. And we're going to see that more as... We move through the story in the coming weeks, but this whole concept of saying to Jesus, man, if only you'd been here, if only you had been there. What is the underlying issue that Martha had with Jesus? Or what is the the underlying issue that we have with Jesus when we say or think that? I would venture to say that most often when we say, man, God, if you would have been there, it's usually an issue of unmet expectations, right? Man, we expect God to move in certain ways, or we expect God to work things out the way that we see best, or we expect God to do what we think he should do. And of course, we should have high expectations of God, but he doesn't always meet those expectations in the way that we think that he should. I was reading a a book earlier this year about, um, it, it talked a lot about Lewis and Clark. You guys familiar with Lewis and Clark? Okay, so they're like famous explorers, 1800s, and they, there, was, there was a part of the story that I didn't know or maybe I didn't know and just forgot from history class or whatever. But Lewis and Clark, famous explorers, they're like on mission from the president to go west to find access to the Pacific Ocean. Okay? We're all familiar with the Pacific Ocean, right? Okay. So they head out west to go find this access to the Pacific Ocean for trade purposes, which, which was like a big deal back then. Okay? The author equated it to like in modern times, discovering the internet, or not discovering, inventing the internet. Okay? It was a big deal to find this. And so Lewis and Clark, they set out, and no one, you know, to their knowledge had explored that area. And so they start heading out west, and they get to the Continental Divide. They get to Limhi Pass, okay? It's on the, the border of Montana and Idaho. They get to the Limhi Pass, and they've been going for oh, like a year, right? They've been just, just going at it on this trail, trying to find access to the Pacific Ocean. And they think, okay, we have finally made it. We are going to get to the top of Limhi Pass. We're going to get top of this, this hill, and when we get to the top, Man, it's just going to be literally downhill from there. We're going to see the Pacific Ocean, and it's going to be perfect. This dream that we've had, this how we expected things to go, this dream that's even dated back to Columbus, all of it is going to come true right before our eyes as soon as we get to the top of this hill. Well, Lewis and Clark, they finally get to the top of the hill. They get to the top, and what do they see? They don't see the Pacific Ocean. They discover the Rocky Mountains. And so in that moment, that dream of like, man, we think our journey is about over. We think our journey has finally got to its, to its precipice. We're going to finally discover what we've been looking for. They thought their journey was over, and in fact, it had just started. And I love the way the author said it. It said that in that moment, the geography of hope gave way to the geography of reality. And how often have we found that in our lives, Right? the optimism and confidence that we had in God or the optimism or confidence that we had of our life, the hope that we had, the belief that we had has given way to the reality of the situation that we're in. The geography of our hope has given way to the geography of our reality. It's not how we expected things to go. It's not what we thought would happen. We thought we were gonna get this ocean to celebrate. Instead, we just got more mountains to climb. And that's tough. And that's where Mary and Martha found themselves in the story. 
They expected Jesus to show up and heal Lazarus. They thought they weren't going to lose their brother. But regardless of what they thought, regardless of what their expectations were, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Their reality had begun to set in. An interesting fact about Jewish tradition back in those times, some Jews, not, uh, not all of them and not necessarily Mary and Martha, but some Jews believed that when a person died, that their spirit hovered above their body for three days, just in case it wanted to enter back in or what, however that worked. Obviously, that's not true. We're not sure if Mary and Martha believed that. But regardless, Jesus waited four days. And so even this distant hope of maybe, maybe this will happen was taken away. And so the question is, why did Jesus wait? And so we'll see a glimpse of why as we move forward in the story. So let's keep reading. This is John eleven twenty three to 27. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Jesus tells Martha, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. Lazarus is going to rise again. And she says, oh, yeah, I know that he will on the resurrection on the last day. And it was something she had read in Scripture, right, that she knew was coming maybe one day later down the road. And so she replies with this churchy, theological answer, right, to try to make sense of what Jesus meant, which we can also find ourselves doing, right, in our pain from time to time, like by saying, man, God's got a plan for this. God's going to work good out of this, which is, which is true, right? People even may say that to us when they know we're walking through something. Hey, God's got a plan. God's going to work good out of this. And that is very true, but we know that if we are in suffering, that that truth doesn't always help the pain that we feel. Author Rebecca McLaughlin, she says this about our suffering as Christians. She says, we are much more like children than philosophers. Our pain is real and urgent, and it refuses to be soothed by faraway hope. In other, in other words, yes, it's true that Jesus is going to work good of our, out of our situation, and yes, it's true that he's going to return one day to make things right, but that doesn't make the pain hurt any less. And reading between the lines here, it's like Martha saying, yeah, I get, I get that, Jesus. Like, I, I get that he's going to rise again one day, but what about now? What about my, my life right now? What about the pain that I'm feeling right now? Have you ever been there before, right, where, where you know things might work out one day, but right now what you're walking through is very painful, and you wish things would be better right now, and that's a tough spot to be. And so Martha says this, and then Jesus replies with some powerful statements. Martha says, yes, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Won't that be great? Won't that be awesome? And Jesus responds by saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, will live. And so in the midst of Martha's suffering, in the midst of her tears and her grief and loss and struggle, Jesus looks at her and he says, listen, I, I see that you're hurting. I see that you're hurting. I see the pain. I know that you miss your brother. But I want to tell you that there is something that you need more than you do need your brother back. And it's me. Sometimes in our lives, the Lord will use suffering to lift the veil that is on our eyes to see our need for him. And yes, the pain hurts. And yes, the grief is hard. And the loss is big. And the rejection is difficult. The unknown is frustrating. 
But God will use those things to reveal our need for him. And that is his promise in our pain. He made Mary and Martha wait so they could clearly see their need for the resurrection and the life, which was Jesus. I read recently about some missionaries in India, and the person was talking about how missionaries in India, they have incredible success bringing people to faith in the, um, in the slums. And so in India, you know, you might, you're probably familiar with some of this, but, like, there's, there's the, the remnant of what was the caste system, right, where they have the lowest of society are known as the untouchables. And they have incredible success reaching these people in the untouchables with the gospel. And the reason is because of where they are at, right? So, so for someone who has been told their whole life that they are worth nothing, to all of a sudden hear that Jesus thinks they're worth dying for, it changes everything for them. Sometimes we have to be brought extremely low before we, can to, before we can become to see our incredible need for Jesus. Right? If you're broken, if you're, an incre- if, you're, uh, if you're broken, you're an incredible spot for God to do incredible things in your life. You know, and that, that's the very essence of the gospel, right? You need to see your sin, right, before you understand your need for a Savior. You need to be brought extremely low and have an accurate view of yourself before you have an accurate view of who Jesus is. If you're in a spot of of grief, of loss, or pain, if you're in a season of the unknown, you don't need to miss this tonight. You need to know that your greatest need isn't for your situation to be fixed. Your greatest need is Jesus. I want to say that one more time. You need to know tonight that your greatest need isn't for your situation to be fixed. Your greatest need is Jesus. And he will oftentimes use our circumstances to reveal that to us. And how Jesus finishes his statement is huge. And I I don't want us to miss it. He tells her, he says, yes, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, he will not die. He will live. And he finishes by asking her, do you believe this? In other words, do you really believe me when I say this, that you need me more than you need your brother back? Or has your suffering blinded you? Or has your grief pulled that veil back down over your eyes? Or are you still staring at your pain? Do you believe this? He's saying, would you look at me in the midst of your situation? Would you look at me and not your pain? Would you see that I'm what you need? Do you believe this? And she responds and says, yes, Lord, I do. You are the son of God. And this is what I don't want us to miss in this story. Most of us know the end of this story, right? We know how this story ends, right? Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knew this. He was going to perform a miracle. He was going to bring Lazarus back to Mary and Martha. But in the moment, Mary and Martha didn't know that. They didn't know how this story was going to end. Jesus kept them in the moment of their pain, knowing the end of the story, and chose to make sure that they were seen clearly. He wanted to make sure that they knew that he was their greatest need before he ever fixed their situation. And so I want to ask us the same question tonight. Do we believe this? Do we believe that in the midst of our pain that Jesus is still our greatest need? Do we believe that in the moments where that geography of hope turns to the geography of reality, those moments where things didn't go as expected, that we believe that Jesus is our greatest need? And I hope you can make that decision tonight. Jesus makes a promise in our pain, and it's not that he's going to smooth it all over. 
but that he will make himself known to you in the midst of it. If you will, go ahead and stand with me. Tonight, as we respond, I would encourage you to do some assessing of your life tonight. If you're in a tough spot, if you need to deal with some pain, if you're in a season of waiting, waiting either for Jesus to show up in your life, waiting for the pain to pass, whatever it is, I would encourage you to ask yourself tonight, do I believe that Jesus is my greatest need, even in the midst of my mess? Do I believe that I need Jesus more than I need my situation to be fixed? So try to answer that for yourself tonight. If you answer yes, that you do believe that, watch how the Lord begins to work in your life. Because remember, when you're broken is when you're in an incredible spot for God to do big things in your life. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for, uh, for tonight. God, I thank you for the story of Lazarus, the story of Mary and Martha, God, who went through this incredible suffering and pain and didn't know the end of the story like we do. And God, you used it as an incredible opportunity to show them that, yeah, you're their biggest need. So God, tonight, I pray that we would see the same thing. God, that we would see that you are our biggest need, that you are our, 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 our biggest priority, God, in the midst of our suffering. And so God, we trust you with that. We trust you with our situation. We trust you with what we're walking through. And God, we want to see you be made perfect in our weakness. And so God, yes, we want to say we believe it tonight. We want to take our eyes off the pain and put it on you. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen.